strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hi and welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. And I'm Jen. And tonight's episode is about the London burial crisis. So I'm going to talk about London, but this is actually a global thing that we're dealing with. So the world is running out of burial spaces. There is an issue in many parts of the world over what to do with the dead as pressure on the shortage of burial spaces intensifies. Stack them. That's what, all right, I'll get to that. So the Industrial Revolution in the 18th and 19th centuries saw a mass migration from small villages and towns to larger cities. Before that, most people lived in rural locations and would be buried in the local church's graveyard. But with the growing population, authorities in the Victorian Britain built large cemeteries that were on the outskirts of the city. Those cemeteries are now pretty much full. Even though most people choose cremation, the Institute of Cemetery and Crematorium Chief Executive Tim Morris says that the crisis is still looming. Local authorities have to try and find land for new cemeteries, which is very expensive, while also still needing money to cover the maintenance cost of all of the older cemeteries. Dead people, nothing but problems. I mean, can't live with them, you can't. (laughs) I mean, I love cemeteries. So ask me for a donation, I'll donate. That's another thing, yeah. Because a lot of cities are taking donations, but the problem is land. So if you think about it, I'm I'm, going to get more into this, but just like... A brief synopsis or a summary of what I'm gonna, I'm going to tell you is, we have, imagine this town that we live in when it was first developed, right? When mm-hmm. when it was first created, some of the most first things that were developed was a church, a school, a store, and a graveyard or a cemetery, right? And then this the town continues to expand and build and build, and it builds around the cemetery and doesn't leave any room to expand. Right. So that's why you na- have to build new cemeteries in yeah, other places. Exactly. But the problem is, is that now, ec- economically, they are then taking away land from the living to give to the dead. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's kind of like a like. I hear we, you. you win I mean, some, you lose some. You know. We live next door to a town mm-hmm. that has more dead people in it than living. Yeah. Yeah. My and my town is seventy percent dead. They stack them. Yeah. So yeah, up different floors like and then six seven floors. And, but we also live in a metropolis where we live outside of the city. So the commuters, every time they see a patch of land, it might not be big land, but it's enough to have several stories high of some type of apartment complex. So why couldn't they just take that kind of small piece of land and create it into a more efficient cemetery? And instead, they just build up seven flights of apartment buildings for commuters. And a lot of the cemeteries by us, if you notice, one side is a cemetery, then there's a major road, and then the cemetery continues on the opposite side. Yeah. So what came first? Was the road there before, or was the road there after? Oh, unlikely. I'm sure that the road was not there. Yeah, and they just put it, yeah. Went ahead and crossed the street. So somehow they have to make room for the living. And so it's kind of like... And the dead. Yeah, so what do you do? So the chicken and the my, egg, my friend. I know. So that was my little synopsis. But I'm going to tell you a story. I love a good story. So in 1894, the son of Marion and Robert Crawford died in East London, district of Sutney. When they buried Robert Jr. in the city's only publicly run cemetery, the Crawfords had planned to join him. So they purchased a single plot where it was dug deep enough to accommodate multiple burials. 
but that never happened. Whatever the circumstances, the plot only contained one person. It was Robert Jr. So Robert Jr. now shares his space with a complete stranger. His headstone has been turned and a new name was added on the opposite side. With no other burials in the Crawford plot, it was considered abandoned. And the city of London cemetery and crematory graves that are considered abandoned do not stay that way. This double-sided headstone is just one of the many shared graves. Staff at the cemetery bury newcomers on top of long-term residents, flip the stones around, and describe the names of the more recently deceased on the opposite side. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pie, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get-to-know-ya at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast, your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. As most funerals go, dying is not cheap. So in London, you can expect to have a family spend over $15,000 for just a small patch of ground. London's inner city boroughs have no available grave plots, and with more and more space dwindling, costs are rising, so people are beginning to warm up to the idea of sharing burial plots. It might be the only way to maintain the burial traditions. Behind the growing popularity of grave reuse is a man named Gary Burks. His family moved into a house inside the City of London Cemetery walls when he was just six years old after his father got a job digging graves and maintaining landscape. Now in his 50s, Burks is a site superintendent and him and his team have made it their mission in making burials sustainable without having to expand and put out the living. Because in order to expand, like I said, for the dead, you have to take from the living, unfortunately. London has struggled to fit both the living and the dead within the city limits for about two centuries, when all the extra people that came over during the Industrial Revolution. Mourners have witnessed overworked gravediggers dismember the dead in order to fit them into tiny spaces. Heavy rains exposed coffins that were shoved hastily in very shallow graves. Some people even stepped right into graves that had loosely packed soil on top. So gases from the corpses had to be tapped by the undertakers to prevent explosions, while some cemetery workers even died while doing this procedure because they choked on the fumes. In the 1930s, Parliament promoted the establishment of seven large privately run cemeteries that were on the edge of the city. They were called a Magnificent Seven, and had some famous destinations like Highgate Cemetery and Kensal Green, where tombstones read Mary Ann Cross, the author known as George Eliot, and a few other famous people. But these cemeteries were not built for many. From the beginning, they were meant to be expensive and exclusive. In 1856, the publicly available City of London Cemetery was opened to be affordable and a very popular alternative to the Seven. But it became too popular. With disease outbreaks, they were burying about 9,000 people per year, and that's about 25 burials a day. It's a busy, busy cemetery. They didn't take into effect disease, like a plague, like any of these, and also... Smallpox, cholera. Yeah. 
tuberculosis. Globalization. You have all these people moving in because of work. You know, it's just many extravagant and private graveyards that made lots of money during the Victorian era were finding it very difficult to stay afloat by the 1940s. The land was nearly full and the city had grown around the cemetery, which made it difficult to expand. No new land meant no new burials and no new income. This shifted away from the elaborate funeral rates and made cremation more popular. The staff at the City of London Cemetery noticed a decline of the extravagant cemeteries and the need to continue to perform burials and have the revenue to support the operations. Being a big public entity, the cemetery pushed a piece of legislation in 1969 that extinguished Londoners' ownership over their grades after a long period of abandonment. But putting time limits on burials may seem heartless or not keeping with the tradition of eternity. It seemed to be a well-received step towards solving England's burial crisis. About eight years later, Parliament passed a law mandating all new grave plots to be leased rather than owned, with renewable lease terms ranging from three to 100 years. The City of London Cemetery barely used this authority, which allowed then to retroactively enforce lease terms until the early 2000s, when another piece of legislation made it easier to reuse the graves. It is said that after 75 years of abandonment, long enough that the staff thought was respectful for the dead, a grave would be used to hold another occupant. At the current rate of the burial, Brooks calculates that the cemetery can recycle their graves endlessly without needing more land in the foreseeable future. What I mean, do they just put them on top? Mm-hmm. And, but how many can they do before that's tip-top? And then, so let's say they stacked three deep. I can't imagine they could get more than three. You can. Unfortunately, it's weird, but you can. So, What is it, like side-by-side, side, like really close? Or? I think the most you can get is four. But if you notify the family members beforehand, you can ask for your loved one to be removed and moved separately or if you want to do a cremation or anything like that. So then that whole plot goes brand new at that, at that point. They sell it for either a family plot or singles. And uh, they know this because there are certain records that they look at, very important records that tell them every single plot, how deep it is. And if it's a certain, I think it's eight feet, at that certain depth, then they can use it for... Um, multiple burials yeah but like if you think about so when you bury somebody it's not just the coffin mm -hmm. but then it's also the vault mm -hmm. um so i imagine a lot that of, that's two to three feet yeah but a easily. lot of the uh, a lot of the coffins that are and you old don't want it to be that close to the top i mean yes but that's one coffin mm -hmm. do you see what i'm saying like so like there's one in the bottom and that's like let's say it's only a foot deep right so now you have seven feet even if you stack them literally flush on top of each other, you could only get two more in there. Unless they make the entire thing a vault and it's just one by one. But that's what I mean. Like even yeah. with the coffins, like the coffins are big. They're like they're big, big they're and round. And, yeah. you know, they're not like the flat, like wooden Transylvania vampire coffins <laughs> that, you know, But I think that Halloween is, style. in this case, that is what most of the ones that they're going to start using. So right. that's their problem ahead of time. 50 years from now, when that lease is up, and if their family is still around, they want to reuse it, then they have to actually think it that way. But they can, if they have one, if you have one coffin in there from what, the 1400s, and then you put a nice one with the, you know, on top of, like, I'm not saying a nice one, but a newer one on top of that, then you could probably fit one more. Right. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. I mean, ugh, I mean, it's a temporary solution. Yeah. Certainly. But I'm pretty sure, I mean, they can probably squeeze in a fourth. I'm not going to lie. I don't know. These modern coffins are big. Then that might change the size of a coffin. Then the entire coffin industry might might be slimmer, sleeker, 
smaller, wild. It's yeah. Gonna, they're going to be making the Porsche of coffins. Yeah. The Tesla of coffins. No, Teslas are big. You need like something sleek, small, tiny. The smart car of coffins. So. Can fit into tight spaces. <laughs> hate smart cars. Everyone hates smart cars. <laughs> it's like they scare the crap out of me. I'm like, I know, I'm just don't drive by me. They're fast. I was like, you should not be doing 90 next to me on the parkway. You, you're driving a bathtub. You know, just stop. Might might weigh less than a porcelain bathtub, honestly. Might weigh less. I mean, my plastic bathtub is probably... I'm going porcelain, thinking, you know, mm-hmm. clawfoot. Start there. To be reused, the graves must be deep enough to hold more than one coffin, right? So it's eight feet. I mean, because you always think traditionally a, a grave is six feet. Yeah. But apparently it's eight, in, mm-hmm. at least in London. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know anywhere else if they're like <laughs> that norm. The only digging required to determine grave deaths is in the cemetery records. In a locked, fireproof basement of the cemetery's office building sit about 88 large books, each weighing over 55 pounds and hold together more than 26,000 pages. These books are perfectly legible, and the columns that are the most important to Burks and his team are the dates and the depths of the last burial. In this column, him and his team found that many abandoned graves have depths remaining for not just one, but multiple coffins, allowing a single reused grave to house multiple family members or can even be used again after 75 years. Once a grave can be identified as eligible, the staff will then move on to the emotional considerations. They write to all the families that have addresses listed on file and ask if they could consider the graves to be reused. Ground staff members also hang notices on the stone so visitors are notified as well, just in case their addresses are no longer valid. They post announcements at the gates and even on their website. They buy ads in a local newspaper, and then they wait and wait and wait. If family objects within six months of these notifications, then the grave is then not considered abandoned. Okay. So they get a solid chance. Mm -hmm. And they will not be reused for at least another generation. So far, the cemetery has reused about 1,500 graves. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind. Yeah. Go ahead. I have a friend. So customers looking to purchase reused grave plots, which run about a third of the price, are not required to reuse the headstone. So legally, the cemetery can toss the headstone away if the lease of the plot had expired, but Burks tries to save as much history as he can. He says that if the memorial is in really good condition, they simply turn it around and the old inscription stays on the back and the new inscribed will be placed in the front. He says, no stone unturned. The City of London Cemetery and Crematory has no famous people that draws the crowds from the city center. And even though it's considered unglamorous and overrun by nature, within the 200 acres and nearly 1 million bodies, the grave of Robert Jr. and many others have been asked to sacrifice eternity for the needs of a more abrupt future. In 2012, a London family lowered their loved one, an 80-year-old man named James Joseph Corbett, into a space that was originally meant for the Crawfords. The headstone was turned, and Corbett's name faces forward. In burying Mr. Corbett, his family brought an unexpected new chapter to the story of young Robert Jr., and perhaps generations from now, another Londoner may join them. So I said before at the beginning that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much focused on London, but there are so many different types of burial crises all over the world. So here's just like a few that I was able to look up and what they're doing. Other countries in Europe, such as Germany, are using the same grave space after several years. Families in Spain and Greece, they rent a niche, and an, uh, which is a, an above-ground crypt where bodies live for several years, 
When they have decomposed, the bodies are then moved to communal burial ground so the niche can be reused again. In France and Italy, plots are released for about 10 to 50 years. Then, after, then the family can choose to renew the plot for a fee. Venice's San Michele Island Cemetery is also oversubscribed with bodies removed after they have been de decomposed. Israel has approved the creation of a multi-story underground burial tunnel, despite opposition from some of the Orthodox Jews. In more crowded parts of the world, cremation is a normal procedure, but even finding space for an urn can be challenging for some people do not keep them in their homes. In Hong Kong, thousands of families share ashes and sacks in funeral homes while they wait years and years for a space in either public or private cemeteries. And in Singapore, one private company stores about 50,000 urns, which can be automatically retrieved with an electronic key card. In the second most popular country in the world, India, the majority Hindu population scatters the ashes of the dead after cremation, which in some countries is illegal, but Muslims and Christians who bury bodies are running out of suitable land as well. So in the end, the whole world is facing a cemetery crisis, but some countries have come up with creative ways to address the issue. So that is the story of the London burial crisis, where the dead are not forgotten and after centuries are no longer alone. Just another notorious narrative. If you enjoy our episodes, you can also go to patreon.com slash notorious narratives, where you can access exclusive content. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to be notified when a new episode is available. Keep it weird and never stop exploring. <laughs>